This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Tobacco smoking is statistically minus 10 years from your life. This is awful. I mean, we just need to stop that. And unlike 10 or 20 years ago, you're going to have medication which helps you to quit tobacco smoking as a bad habit with like 50% success. Because 20 years ago, it was all to your discipline and it was like 6 to 8% success rate. Right now, we increase it. So, well, using seatbelts all the time is plus two years to your life. In our family, we have zero alcohol tolerance policy for car driving. In some of the states, in some of the countries, you can actually drink like a glass or two of wine and you're still going to be okay for driving. Well, this is very dangerous. Or driving car, but not motorcycle. Decreased mortality rates from accidents by a factor of 17, one seven. And, you know, and I can go on and on about some very risky choices that we all intentionally or unintentionally make in our life. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes. Could you ever dream of living to 100? How about 150 or even 200 years old? My guest today, Sergey Young, is on a mission to help you do just that. As a matter of fact, he wants to help 1 billion people live to 100. Sergey is a chemical engineer turned venture capitalist who founded the Longevity Vision Fund. His fund invests in companies that are making groundbreaking products, technologies, and developments in the longevity space. Combine this with his passion for research and science, and you get his book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young, which was released earlier this week. It's an absolute game changer. It is filled with tips, tools, and tactics to help you live longer, healthier, and happier, and his book is a must-read. When living longer gets mentioned, there is a lot of pushback because of things like money, quality of life, and people's level of happiness. If someone isn't happy when they are 40, how can they be happy at 95? There is a lot of truth to that. This is why I'm so excited to share this episode with you today as we address just that. While living past 100 can definitely be very exciting, the focus of our convo today revolves around what you can do today in real time to improve all facets of your health. Our discussion gets into Sergey's backstory and what inspired his obsession with longevity, health, and aging. We get in depth about his research on longevity and chat about things that take years off your life and things that actually can extend your life. He unveils the five longevity buckets that you must pay attention to to live healthier, happier, and longer. We chat about nutrition, fasting, movement, and mental health, and why they are so pivotal to reversing your biological age. Of course, Sergey debunks the common obstacles that people come across when they are thinking about living longer, and our combo also dovetails into the enticing subject of technology and which ones you can take advantage of right now 
as well as the ones you can look forward to that might help you live to see age 150 or 200. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Sergey Young to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Sergey, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Doc. Hi, everyone. I'm very excited to be here today. Yes, I'm excited to have you. And I thoroughly enjoyed your book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. And what I also have enjoyed during my research into your journey, into your story is that like you weren't always this healthy person who was into longevity. It's not like you grew up super healthy. You didn't grow up with a ton of money. You kind of grew up what in the middle of, of nowhere or the end of nowhere, I think I've heard you say in Russia, <laughs> came over yeah. here and then eventually had a health scare of your own and then a health scare of a family member that really inspired you yeah. to, to take this longevity journey. So if you could walk the audience through just briefly, like your, your kind of your backstory, like how you made it from Russia to here mm-hmm. and then what inspired you to get into the field of longevity. Okay. Well, this is very interesting. So I was born in 1971, so I'm 49 in these days. And so some people say uh, they, they are from middle of nowhere. I am not from middle of nowhere. I'm from the end of nowhere. My hometown was, it was 15,000 people living right on the shore of Japanese sea. It was closer to Japan, to the country I would never dream I'll ever go to. And it was literally 200 miles across the sea. And then it was 500 miles drive to the regional capital, like to the state capital in, in U.S. terms. And so obviously I was just like, when I was a kid, I was looking at the map of the world and it was during USSR time, times. And like the only option which were available to me travel-wise to go to Poland or to Hungary one day, followed by KGB agent. So this is where, you know, I grew up. Then... In the age of 17, I moved to Moscow. And then this is where, where my first degree started. I, I have three degrees, chemical engineering, banking and, and insurance. And third is business administration. And you know, I've always been this insecure overachiever. So like I, I need to, you know, my target, like my objective should be, you know, always moving up, moving up, moving up, moving up. That's why I was actually thinking to do like a fourth degree, but I thought it's it's a bad idea given other insurance with my time. So then for some people becoming adult is the process. For me, it was just one phone call from my mom. She called me up and said, yeah, Sergey, we'll, both me and, and your father lost our jobs. And they just, just closed the factory. It was like the only factory in, in my hometown. So, and from that moment, I was studying full-time and, and working full-time taking care of my parents and my younger brother. And this is, it was pretty rough at, uh, at this time during Perestroika in Russia. So then, you know, obviously I spent a few years in consulting with McKinsey. Like every three months, you change the industry, people, the challenge, geography. It was pretty interesting. So I've been investing for the last 20 years and I've been blessed with being part of um, investment sector because you can support so many entrepreneurs, so many great companies, and you can, I mean, you can go for impact, like the things that I do with Longevity Vision uh, Fund. Well, speaking of longevity, the unfortunate reality, a, a lot of us, or probably majority of us, start develop this interest in our own health with a wake-up call. So I've had two. One, back in 2005, my father had a lung cancer, very late stage. He was about to die. He's actually survived but the quality of his life is never recovered. 
And then back in 2014, I just did my blood test and apparently they found out that, that I have extremely high cholesterol level. This is not a drama, right? Uh, 40% of people statistically suffer from high cholesterol level, but uh, they offered me to take statins. This is a special class of drugs, very popular one with decrease your cholesterol level. And I was just thinking it's, it's, it's kind of the thing for one month, but apparently they asked me to take this medication for every day for the rest of my life. At this, at this point of time, I thought I'm going to be living 40 years, not 151, like I'm thinking today. It's uh, 40 more years. And I said no. And I started to experiment with my own health, not in biohacking way. I'm actually pretty conservative as a, someone who have chemical degree. And apparently what I realized, our body has this self-healing capabilities, not against every disease. We, we still can be genetically unlucky. But there's so many things that we can change through you know, lifestyle changes, through you know working on preventative and um, and proactive version of uh, medicine. So I started to push all my friends to do uh, annual medical screening. Some of them had first stage cancer, and they call they called me up and and all of them said, "Sergey, you saved my life because it was early stage cancer." And these days, unlike twenty or forty years ago, cancer is not case of that. So they are fully recovered. I saved their lives and, and I was on the hook because I was searching for my passion for so many years. And I, I was been just forced to work uh, a lot and taking care of my family. And I was so jealous about some of the people develop their passion. And finally, I find my passion in the human health. And as insecure overachiever, I want to change as many lives as possible. So it was the the idea of changing billion lives by bringing affordable, accessible version of healthcare to the world. Mm. I love that. What a great story. So I guess in, in summary, you came over here, you came to Moscow and you ended up getting three different degrees, right? Am I correct? And then ca yeah, came yeah. over and had, and then you had some health scares. You had one with your dad with the lung cancer, then you had one of your own. And then you ended up getting more into longevity. You started this longevity vision fund, and now you have this cool. mission to help a billion people. And I know your fund, you know, really focuses on helping people live substantially longer lives than they believe that they can and different technologies that come along with that. And I, we're definitely going to get into some of those technologies. But before we do, let's talk about the here and now. You mentioned the, the 40% thing with people in cholesterol. I know millions upon millions upon millions of people are struggling with things like diabetes, obesity, different metabolic issues. So what are the, what are the numbers like right now? Like what are these staggering statistics that I think people really need to hear of how unhealthy we are as a society right now? Well, this is a very difficult, emotionally difficult subject for me. And, you know, all of the numbers I'm going to be sharing, I share with a lot of love. But the reality is that we are here in the U.S. Has, you know, we have the most inefficient, the most expensive healthcare system on earth. So U.S. spends 18% of its GDP on healthcare. And the unfortunate reality, our lifespan is decreasing all the time. We're like the only developed country on earth who... Pre-COVID, in the last five years pre-COVID, at least three out of these five years, the average lifespan of American has been decreasing. This is awful. And we spend this like 18% of, of GDP on healthcare. 
Look at UK. So I'm a member of UK Parliamentary Group on National Longevity Strategy. They spend 8%. Singapore, which shares you know, uh, number one place in terms of you know, human health span and lifespan together with Japan and Earth, spend 5% of their GDP. So th- there's so many things that we need to change. And the problem that we have here, specifically in, in US, we delegated all our health-related choices to other parties. And there is obviously a conflict of interest. I mean, what would you expect from commercial organizations or, you know, government organizations? Like, you know, everything is decided by government, by big pharma, uh, big food, healthcare providers, insurance companies. Like, where's our voice? So I'm not saying you need to make your own decisions on your own health. You, You would need to have professional help and advice, sometimes looking for second or third opinion. But right now, yeah, we're just blind in this world and, and we're non-existent. And, and that's why I, I think specifically after COVID, COVID you know, has been a time of renewal for so many of us. It's time to take back responsibility and control for our health and, and be part of this conversation. Yeah, because I think it's like two thirds of Americans are either overweight or obese. I don't remember the exact statistic on yeah, that. Yeah, well, this is, yeah, anywhere you look at this, anywhere between 40 and 60%. And dia- diabetes or pre-diabetes is also around 40%. Yeah. This is, again, I say it with a lot of love. We are the, the you know, probably most unhealthy nation in the world with all the resources that we have. Yeah, and I think the many of the solutions that are provided can be Band-Aid approaches, right? And it's not just the medical system. People are like, oh, I'll just do this cleanse and it'll fix my health problems. Or I'll just wear this aura ring. I'll just do, and not that that's not helpful, right? The aura ring, I think is a great technology along with yeah, Apple Watch, Fitbit, all these other things, but it, that can't fix a bad lifestyle, right? That, that can only enhance the lifestyle that you're already living. So let's talk about current longevity and really how to take somebody, like maybe like somebody like yourself and where you were, like you were the average American, right? Who had, who was struggling with cholesterol issues. You went to your doctor. Your doctor was like, hey, take this for the rest of your life. That's typically what happens. So what are some of the staples that you say the average person can do right now if they're listening to this, if they're in that unhealthy state to begin to turn their life around? Yeah, well, let's discuss it. This is my favorite part. And and this is why why I'm in longevity. I, I want us to start changing today or tomorrow morning, not to wait for 10, 15 years until all of this you know, exciting technologies will start to work out for uh, many of us. I have to say there's there's um, a significant portion of the book, like a bonus chapter in the book. Uh, it's actually called Who Wants to Live Forever. It's And this chapter is dedicated to 10 longevity choices that we all can make today. And and this chapter is twice as long as any other chapter in the book. So this is this is about the importance of what we can do right now. So if you're okay with that, Doc, well, let's just go through five longevity buckets. So these are the buckets that I I took to change my life and uh, my health as well. Okay? Yep. Perfect. So number one, and then when I have 30 seconds to, to discuss the topic of longevity or what you can change, I'm talking about the importance of the regular medical screening. And we did discuss with you, like, I mean, if, if you take cancer at very early stage, your recovery rates today is, are from 93 to 100%, depending on the cancer type. And, and this is amazing achievement. 20, 40 years ago, 
people were defer deferring uh, and delaying the date of their cancer screening. Right now, go to your doctor, to your healthcare provider and say, you know, I want to have my uh, health screening regularly at least once a year. And it's it's pretty simple combination. Now, it's not a rocket science. You don't need to go like you know, the place where I go, which is uh, Human Longevity Center in San Diego, California. And it, your focus is heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and neurogenerative diseases. These are the four things that people die from after the age of 50. And your doctor uh, will be delighted to advise you on that because the cost of prevention or addressing particular disease at early stage is 10 to 20 times less than responding to, like, to your health emergency, okay? I I'm not talking about recovery rates. You're going to be, you're going to sustain the quality of your life or even make it better after this experience. So I I've done my annual checkup every year for the last six years. And for me, this year, it was June 8th. And you should see me in the June 9th. I was just full of sensors. I'm full of sensors right now. You know, I'm, I, I have my continuous glucose monitor here, Apple Watch. I, I, I'm experimenting with Whoop from Amazon or Rig and ZOH, which is continuous electrocardiogram for at least seven days, you know, put on chip and then send for, for company to processing. And, and this is extremely important. Uh, this is cheaper. This is more efficient. And this will save a lot of years of your life and will sustain the quality of it. Hmm. So what are some of the like lifestyle choices that you've seen in your research or even in your own experience that can make the biggest difference for people in their annual checkup in these yeah. numbers? And which, which are the lifestyle choices have you seen that can cause the most havoc, like long-term, like, is it smoking? Is yeah. it lack of exercise? Is it the nutrition? Like, what, do, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, well, we have like four other buckets and they address exactly your questions, Doc. So bucket number two is, I call it passive longevity, or I call it don't die stupid. And like tobacco smoking is statistically minus 10 years from your life. This is awful. I mean, we just need to stop that. And Unlike, again, unlike 10 or 20 years ago, you're going to have medication which helps you to quit tobacco smoking as a bad habit with like 50% success. Because 20 years ago, it was all to your discipline and it was like 6 to 8% success rate. Right now, we increase it. So, well, using seatbelts all the time is plus two years to your life. In our family, we have zero alcohol tolerance policy for car driving. In some of the states, in some of the countries, you can actually drink like a glass or two of, of wine and you're still going to be okay for driving. You're allowed to drive. Well, this is very dangerous. Or driving car, but not motorcycle. Decreased mortality rates from accidents by a factor of 17, one seven. And, you know, and I can go on and on about some very risky choices that we all intentionally or unintentionally make in our life. And I, I'm like waiting for driverless cars to arrive because mortality rate from the accidents for the driverless car is 10 times lower than you know, in comparison to the case when you are driving your car. So that's, that's we call passive longevity. That's some of the things that we need to be mindful of. The third thing, and it's actually pretty interesting, is about diet and is about our food. 
So there's a lot of disagreement in, uh, in the scientific community today, what actually extends our life. But there is only one agreement, that caloric restriction, decreasing in the number of calories that you take every, uh, take every day by 15 to 25%, gonna extend your health span and lifespan by at least three to five years, probably more. And well, this is amazing. Well, having said that, it's, it's really easy to say that, but it's just very difficult to implement that. So I've developed a few uh, life hacks, how you, how you do it. So one is... How, do you, how does a person calculate that? Because it could be relative, right? Like somebody could be eating 3,000 calories one day, and then two days from now, they could be eating like 2,000 calories. Is there a way for somebody to figure out like... Yeah, that yeah. obviously, there's, there are a lot of apps which are you know, really helpful in terms of counting calories. And, and it's like massive number of apps. So you just, you, you go to the, well, whatever store, electronic store, whether it's App Store or on Google Play, any other things that you use to download the apps and you take them. In some of the cases, you can even like, you know, do a photo of, of your plate. And this will give you uh, like a, a number of calories approximately there. But like what I'm saying, it's all relative. So if you are, if you can make sure that you're just taking less than you took last week, it's already a great improvement. And one of the ways to do this is to be like massively focused on vegetables because the caloric intensity of vegetables is so low. Even if I will have just like a full, uh, my, you know, full table full of vegetables, then I'm still going to be fine on the, on the caloric side. And there's not a lot of danger you can do to your body with vegetables, unlike with meat and fish, industrial meat and fish that um, we currently consume. So you don't need to be religious. You don't need to become vegetarian. But, well, just make sure you eat a lot of vegetables and you see how your body will pays off. I, I, when, when people ask me, like, what you can achieve with vegetables, I'm suggesting them an experiment. For 21 days, if you, if you are a diet, if you can eliminate, you know, dairy food, if you can eliminate sugar, sugar drinks, meat and, um, and fish and like concentrate on vegetables. I mean, this is not sustainable diet, but you can survive on that for like 21 days. You will not recognize yourself in the mirror in the end of this uh, three weeks. This is just amazing. Our body responds to vegetables, to this. They're full of fiber, full of very important elements. And, and it's, it's literally a you know, beautiful experience. And it, it gives you a lot of health and treats a lot of diseases in a proactive way. So life hack number one is, is be as plant-based as you can. The second piece, you can experiment with fasting a little bit. And I, I, I do very radical version of fasting. So I fast 36 hours every week from Monday evening to Wednesday uh, morning. And I, you know, I can run on water and herbal tea, you know, all these 36 hours, but you don't need to be that radical. Just look at the window fasting. And this is when you, when you fast for 16 hours and then for the rest of the day, which is eight hours, you, you consume your food within this eight hours interval, or you can try 18 hours of fasting and then six hours of uh, window when you can take your food. And a lot of my friends are taking advantage of this scheme and it works pretty well. So basically all you need to do is like skip breakfast or the dinner 
And I know like majority of us is, are, you know, either like a morning person or evening person. So that's why, you know, I find it easy to skip breakfast when I do that. And it, it works pretty well. So remember my 36 hours fasting every week, statistically, I'm taking out 15% of my food intake within these 36 hours on weekly terms. You know, obviously I shouldn't compensate yeah, ex- with excessive food consumption after the fasting. So I'm managing that, but this works as well. So this were the points for, you know, about the quantity of food, but then quality of food is also very important. And by the way, you need to take out, you know, all the sugar, all the sweet drinks, your friends are water and herbal tea. You can, you know, think about coffee. I'm a big fan of coffee as well. But that's uh, more like exception. But then quality is very important as well. Some of the like meat products or fish products, which is sold in which are sold in supermarkets today, should be called poison because they're full of antibiotics, growth hormones, uh, E. coli bacteria as well. So you should strive for as organic version of meat and fish as possible. So like in our family, we we are eating only wild fish caught in the ocean. And we, the meat, and we do it pretty rarely, um, we take from the sources, from farms that we know that like the quality of the practice is. And some people say, you know, I don't have money to live, to live on a healthy diet. And I've seen an experiment and it was research published last year. Actually, the family which embrace and, and trying to focus, you know, focus on, you know, cooking things at home. And, and on a diet, which is vegetable based, saves up to $900 of the family budget per year. So vegetables usually are pretty inexpensive and, and affordable as well. And, and we did talk about eliminating sugar drinks. On dairy, there are two school of thoughts on that. I'm the one who are not taking dairy products. I've made this change three years ago and I felt pretty good about it. But I do know people who kind of love cheese, you know, the milk, etc. So I'm, I'm not really against that. You just need to experiment like how your body responds to one and another. And then you decide what is uh, better for you. Mm. Number awesome. four. Yeah, yeah, number four. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. recap the, the bucket three, the diet one. So more vegetables, less calories, less processed meats. Obviously, getting rid of the refined sugar or getting rid of sugar and processed foods as a whole will, will increase yeah. the amount of time you, you stay alive. Okay, so what's bucket number four? Yeah, I just wanted to reconfirm this. I, I just recall the outcome of one of the studies. So if you, if you focus on processed food, you're actually consuming 500 calories more a day. The, the issue with processed food, but it's that it's the structure of it, it's so easy to swallow. So you end up with taking more food before you realize that you are not hungry. So this is in very simple terms, how it works. And obviously processed food has less fiber. So you have this, you know, spike of glucose in your blood, which I'm you know, currently measuring with a continuous glucose monitor for the next 14 days. So that's not good as well. Number four, physical activity. We have this binary view of physical activity. So uh, I'm either doing marathon or I'm an iron man or iron woman, or I'm just sitting at home, watching TV, and that's it. 
Well, there's something in between. We don't need to be binary. World is not black and white. So what I'm suggesting, take your wearable, and it can be any wearable that you like, and count your steps. 10,000 steps a day would do that. And, and walking as an activity, you can integrate in any other activity that, that you're doing during the day. <clears throat> so, and I do believe with walking 10,000 steps a day, it's probably 65 to 70% of the physical activity that you need to do on a daily basis. And then it's up to you to upgrade it, uh, to top it up with cardio, with yoga stretching, with weightlifting. It's really up to you. But again, like yeah, doing 10,000 steps a day is, is just a great way to, to sustain your body and, and work on your physical activity. Awesome. Yeah, physical activity. And, and I love how you said just like using the, the baseline is 10,000 steps because you're right. I think so many people, they think when they hear the word workout, they're like, oh, that means I have to work out for yeah. an hour and a half, two hours a day or an hour a day. And it's like, no, just move. Like if you're moving and getting 10,000 steps, you're, you're doing more than most people. And then on top of that, once you're able to maintain that, you can start to add in other things. So cool. So let me just recap. Bucket number one is you call it don't die screening. stupid. The bucket screening. number one is screening. Yeah. Uh, yeah Medical screening. checkup. Yeah. Making sure you're getting your vitals and everything checked yearly. Number two is don't die stupid. Like, you know, smoking, wearing a seatbelt, driving a car, not driving intoxicated, that sort of thing. And then bucket number three is diet. Three is about diet. Yep. Four is movement, and what's five? Yeah, and number five, but mental health. And I call it ease of mind. So every time, and, and just nice that every time we start to talk about our health, we assume we're talking about physical health. While we have this you know, mental health pandemic you know, all around the world. And as we discussed right before the podcast, the, well, there's a huge problem. Uh, people don't want to live longer. Because we created this world around us, which you know, not necessarily supports uh, healthy living. So my components within the peace of mind bucket, number five, are, first of all, it's sleep. There's a beautiful book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. I'm pretty sure we all heard about this. And it was my book of the year 2019. And after reading this book, I changed completely my view on the importance of sleep. So right now, my rule is Eight hours in the bed, which is seven hours of sleep. And I'm trying to, for, and I'm, I'm using O-ring or you can use any other wearable to measure the quality of your uh, sleep. So I'm trying to maximize the, my deep sleep period within the, my sleeping pattern. And I remember, uh, again, it was back in 2019, I met a guy, his name is Jack Cradle, Dr. Jack Cradle. He's the founder of Human Performance Optimization Clinic in London. He works with people after stage four cancer to recover them and with athletes. And so we met and I, and I asked him like, Jack, what is your advice number one? Like if you have a minute, what would you say? And he started with, well, Sergey, every evening we can visit the most powerful clinic in the world. We go to bed and we sleep. And I thought, what a beautiful way to explain how important sleep for our hormonal balance, for our mood, for our physical health. So that's, that's super important. This is your recovery tool. Number two is mindfulness and, and meditation. And, and again, you don't need to be spiritual or religious about this whole thing. In the end of the day, this is just a systematic process that you, that you, in, you know, employ for 15, 20, 30 minutes during your day. 
And the reason being why meditation is important, we need to decrease our cortisol level because um, cortisol is, is a hormone inside us, which is responsible for our stress response. And the way it, it's been used, well, thousands or probably even millions of years ago, you see something in the forest, you run, you, you need to mobilize your body response in the next 5, 10, 15 minutes. And then, and then this hormone goes down. But the way we live in today, because of the constantly negative news like CNN around us, uh, the cortisol, the level of cortisol is extremely high all, all this time. And this erodes our body and our mind from inside. So just 20 minutes of meditation every day, there's plenty of apps like Headspace, Calm, like whatever you like, um, which will help you to, to teach and uh, to learn meditation techniques. It's extremely important to decrease your cortisol level. So I'm meditating for the last five years and I managed to decrease my level of cortisol by factor of three. Because I was just typical like investment manager, responding to stresses, you know, all the time at home, at work, on my way to the office. And I, I do think it's, it's extremely important and it makes you super healthy. And final piece of this bucket number five, which is peace of mind, I call it sense of purpose. And if you think about spiritual leaders that you ever seen or on YouTube or in person, they all shine. They are full of energy. They, they radiate with this kind of internal light. And people who have their, to find their sense of mission, sense of purpose in life, who giving more to the world than they take, are usually living longer. And it's at least plus three to five years to your life. And moreover, it's, it's just high quality portion of your life. You're really happy when, when you are the best version of uh, yourself. So sharing your best with others is extremely important. And this is what we have on the T-shirt. Yeah. Yes. Becoming the best version of me. I love that. And I love how you brought up the, the, mental, the mental health part because we are in a mental health pandemic, if you will. And like they're the one of the main reasons that you and I were, you know, you and I were talking before we recorded and, and saying that one of the main reasons people don't want to live longer is because they don't like their current life. And if they're like, heck, if I'm miserable at 35, I'm going to be way more miserable when I'm 85. So like, what's the point of wanting to live past like 70 or 75 or whatever the average annual life expectancy yeah. is? And I, and I like how you brought them all together because I think mental health, physical health, emotional health, they all kind of go hand in hand. And and really, it, it allows people, if they're listening to this, to take the power back. And while there's going to be a lot of uncertainties and things could still go wrong in your health, like this isn't like like a bulletproof way, it at least gives it at least gives you a really good chance at being healthier, being happier, and, and living longer. And and more, and really, like getting back to the proactive healthcare approach that we know works when we're taking care of ourselves, and it, and it works, you know, long term, and so that we can be the best version of ourselves. So. I want to dive more into something that fascinated me when I was reading your book and, and it's specifically about mental health. I mean, it, and it, it was talking about how your psychological age can influence your physical age. <laughs> and you hear that a lot, right? You hear somebody who's yeah. maybe 50 yeah. saying, oh, I still feel like I'm 30. Or you hear people yeah. who are like yeah. 20, they're like, man, I feel like I'm 50. So talk a bit about that if you can. Yeah, well, this is this is amazing. And if I can just want to, if I can reiterate the importance of like, Ethics of longevity was like there's a separate chapter in the book called Morality of Immortality. And the whole topic of it 
is like we have created technology to extend our life, but we haven't created life that we want to extend. In fact, my publisher wanted to take away this chapter completely from the book. So I was fighting for that. And that's very important. But then, well, let's talk about psychological aspect of aging uh, is extremely important. And uh, there's a part in my book called Think and Grow Young. And I started this small experiment. When I started to do and to work in longevity, I kind of thought my mantra will be uh, living to 200 years in a body of 25 years old man. And he couldn't believe how my life has changed. Like imagine every morning I wake up and I have three fourths of my life ahead of me. So I'm full of dreams. I am full of energy. I am full of plans. So that's beautiful. But if you, if you want to look at this on the more scientific side, there's a number of research uh, papers which has been published, which basically show if you think that you are younger than your calendar age, your body responds to this uh, thinking process. And through this series of like hormonal modification, different processes inside your body, your body actually starts to become younger. And that's amazing. Like, so... Yeah, and there's a number of yeah, different kinds of ages you can think of. Like, so my calendar age is 49. My target psychological age is 25, as, as I mentioned. You know, obviously, it's, it's just with current means and technology, it's very difficult if you're 49 to become a 25 years old man or woman. But like, I feel myself like I'm 35 and, and it's a great improvement. And then if you look at your biological clocks, it's just set of biomarkers, which point out to your how old or young your body is. My biological clock is at the shows 43 years of biological age. So literally by thinking and implementing all these lifestyle changes, you know, I'm 43 years old man. And if I would actually, well, that's, that's the deficiency of the biological clocks algorithm. And if I would take statins and my, my cholesterol will decrease even further, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 38 years old. So imagine, this is like 11 years that I can deduct from my life and be as young and as energetic as 38 years person. And, and, and in the book, you'll see a lot of fascinating stories about this. Like, I think in one retirement home, they reconstructed like the whole world inside this home. Like I was back, what, 30 or 40 years back. And people started to become younger on, on the physical and mental health side. This is fascinating. Our mind is connected to our body and we need to use this connection for the small change. Again, if like we were discussing like 20, running 21 day on vegetables, yeah, through the same interval in the morning and in the evening, just you know, do your own personal mantra that, yeah, if, if you are like 50 years old, say, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old. I'm full of energy. I have a lot of life ahead of me. Uh, so, and see how your body will respond to that. I love that. And it's, you're right. There's so much connection to the way we feel and think about ourselves to how we actually act throughout the day. And you mentioned your biological age. That's a, that's a technology that's current, that's available for people. There's different people that you can go to different programs, right? And they'll tell you how you actually are biological because you describe in your book that your your calendar age doesn't mean nearly the same doesn't need doesn't mean nearly as much as your biological age. Like if you're somebody who is is 30 years old, but your biological age because of your lifestyle choices is 65, 
well, then you're more likely to have a heart attack or a stroke oh, yeah. based on your lifestyle, yeah. correct? Okay, cool. So I wanted to, to follow up really quick. So what are some ways that maybe in your research or in your own experience where you can help or somebody can take the steps to lower their psychological age? Where they're like, okay, this makes sense. I want to try it. Like, is there any advice you have for that? So there's this part of longevity field is uh, really underdeveloped. Mm. So I couldn't read. So, okay. So we're working on this spe- specific app with which, which would guide you through the process of like lowering your psychological age and it is not ready yet. Okay. Uh, so I, and, and obviously I don't want to advertise it because like everything I do with longevity is, is pro bono. It's me sharing like the best of me with, with the world. So it's not ready yet. Uh, and I, I actually think like living with your mantra that you are younger than your calendar age is, is a, is a good start. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You can measure your, yeah, you can measure your biological age, um, as well. So there's, there's a app called young.ai. It's just by coincidence, fits my family name, but you can put your like biomarkers and measure your age as well and start to see like, what are the lifestyle changes? What are the biomarkers from your blood? test changes brings you to to lowering your biological and psychological age as well but in the end of the day it's a very simple decision you just decide that even if you are 50 you feel like you are 35 and then you you should observe the changes in your body and your mind Mm. yeah for sure and i think also just by making some of the lifestyle changes we were talking about earlier psychologically you'll automatically feel younger because just as a whole you're, you're healthier and I want to get into more of the the obstacles that people might think about when it comes to living longer, money, being selfish, and and a few other examples that you mentioned yeah. that people kind of come to when they're like, well, I don't want to live that long. How am I going to have enough money? Is it going to be fun? Am I going to be able to enjoy myself? Is my body going to start to break down? So if you could speak to that for a few minutes, I think yeah. the audience would appreciate that. Yeah. So what I want to say is that we And it's one of the major takeaways from the book. We're all going to be living longer or radically longer against our expectations. So it's not like we have a choice to live longer. The, the combination of you know, different developments and breakthroughs and science and, and technology and in our society and healthcare system would give us more years and in, in even more decades. So it's, it's almost really like an obligation for us to rethink and, and change our mindset in regards to our health. And with, with this in mind, there, there are a number of concerns that I always hear about living longer. And one of the concerns is like overpopulation of the planet. And the reality is, if you look at the, a lot of credible studies, because of the very low reproduction rates all around the world, with exception of African continent, the population of, of Earth is going to peak by... It, 2050 at around 10, 11 billion. And then it's going to decline to eight by the end of this century. Like China alone will lose 600 million people from its population from 1.4 billion to 800 million if they will not respond to that. So that's, that's important to understand. It's, and again, if we want to fix this demographic shift, this silver tsunami, as it called in Japan and in Singapore, we would need to respond with longevity. So that's one thing. The other thing, people are concerned about resources on Earth. Like, and I'm not concerned actually about energy and electricity generation. The, the cost of renewable energy generation 
decreased exponentially in the last 10, 15 years. And, and I'm not concerned about the food. Like 45% of the food in the United States goes to waste every evening from supermarkets, restaurants, from our households. So we have plenty of food to feed people. And, and by the way, we actually need to decrease the caloric intensity of our food intake. But we're just not inefficient with distribution. But what is more important for me is just to go on through all these moral dilemmas and, and trade-offs and start this conversation now, not in 25 years from now. Like, and, and some of the questions we need to solve uh, today as well. Like, think about what if I outlive my finances? Will will bring you to uh, probably different thinking about your personal financial strategy. What will happen? What if I outlive my kids? You know, this is the fear as well. Or what will happen with our social contracts? The the, the social contracts that we use today, like marriage, retirement, has been invented for the world. Or we all live for 35, 40 years on average. Mm. And, you know, look, and, and it's like this total retirement thing is it's, it's binary. And this is what I hate. So it's you either full time and then in the age of 65 or whatever in number is, you like zero, right? You are not relevant part of the workforce or, or society. And if you look in, if you look at the studies, like two most dangerous years of your life is the year of your birth and the year of your retirement. We need to change this whole, you know, one or zero retirement thing. What, why is we need so, to why, accommodate. Why are they, sorry, why are they so dangerous? Yeah, well, it's, it's, well, the, uh, the first one is, is because infant mortality, it's still, you know, pretty dangerous experience, both for mother and, and child. And in terms of the year of retirement, the biggest problem, you lose your social connection. You lose the sense of purpose for, we, we tend to think like, like going to work is an obligation, but it's a blessing for so many of us. We, and, and during COVID time, during kind of quarantine, we realize the importance of just going to the factory, going to the office and you know, chit-chatting with your colleagues or peers and team members and, you know, be relevant to them. And, and that's why, well, the same happened with one of the partners die in majority of cases, the other half of the family, the other half of the couple, couple die pretty soon. And it's especially, uh, statistically, it happens a lot with men losing his wife. And that's why it's very dangerous. We just lose the connection to the world, to the, to the society, to the work, to sense of purpose, to our mission, to the business that we were uh, part of. Well, that's why it's extremely dangerous. So that's why we need to solve like inequality gap or our relationship with mother nature. We can just like, if you live in 75, you can you know, drop the plastic in the ocean and assume the next generations should sort it out. But if we're going to be living substantially longer, like 120 or 150 years, we would face the consequences of our own actions. So it's time to take back control and responsibility, not only for our health, and if, but the health of our planet as well. Yeah, well said. And so I want to kind of dive more into now that some of the technology, like the current technology that's around right now that people can access, as well as some of the technology that might be coming in the next few years. But I guess, you know, before we do that, you know, some of the technology that you're going to talk about is what can help people ultimately live to see 100, 120, 140, 160, so on and so forth. But is there is there ever a point where it's like too late 
or somebody's like 60 and they've been just beating themselves up, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally, where just no amount of technology or, or longevity tools are going to help them. Have you, have you found that at all? Yeah, this is a very difficult question. So I'll just use myself as an example. There is a huge change, the chance that it's too late for me, for like, for someone who is 49 uh, years old. And, but for me, it's not a drama, right? If, if the next generation of people on earth will benefit from what we will create with our support in the field, I'm cool with that as well. But so aging starts like manifest itself after the age of 40. I do think after 60 or 70, it's just really difficult to reverse all the accumulated damage, which we already experienced through like living last 25, 30 years in the process of aging. This is what I would say. So if you look at my like social media profile, like the age cohort 60, 65 plus responds the best to the worst longevity revolution. So we, we waiting for this revolution to happen. So in the end of the day, uh, you know, obviously I'm not sure if all of us will be able to break the sound barrier of 122 years. This is the maximal lifespan that we had on record for of life. But add three, five, seven high quality years to your life. Well, these are the things that we all can do. Like whatever, even if you're 70 or 80 today, you still can do that. Mm. Yeah, I love how you said that and just your your radical honesty with it. Because yeah, you're right. I think you you do reach a certain point where I don't know if the word is too late, but it's very very difficult and challenging yeah. to yeah. kind of recover a lot of the loss and progress. But with that said, it's not a reason to completely give up. There's still a chance to add some years to your life. So I want to get into the technology. I want to get into some of the hows of how people can really start to extend their life. And I, I want to start with right now. Like what are like, what is like one or two pieces of technology? that somebody listening to this can have access to and if they want to start to try out some of these longevity tools that you talk about? Okay, so two things. One is the power of variables. And we tend to think about our variables as something like which you know, helps us to count the steps. Variables are becoming our personalized healthcare devices. Like in two years' time, Samsung Watch, Apple Watch, Whoop, Fitbit would add just a couple of features to, to the wearable, like um, measuring glucose and um, measuring our blood pressure. And in combination with all the beautiful features that they have today, like electrocardiogram, measuring like oxygen level in our blood, the feature which has been added on the back of the COVID pandemic. And this will be like 90% of the things that you want to measure on a regular basis about your health. Moreover, our variables going to be integrated, and they are integrated with like, you know, central database or artificial intelligence algorithm as well. So our variables going to be the, like the first thing to remind us, like, well, you know what, something is wrong with your body and you need to do this, this, and this, like you need to see this doctor uh, be mindful of that. You need to do like additional diagnostic procedure, etc. So this is extremely important. It, take this seriously. And, and, and actually the reason why I switched from Fitbit to uh, Apple Watch because Apple is investing massively in healthcare. And uh, as, as I always say, the change in healthcare will come not from old players doing new things. The change in the, in the healthcare will come from new players disrupting the whole industry. And Apple has the you know, uh, massive history of disrupting so many spaces and so many sectors. That's why I'm very hopeful. Apple, I was just looking at the 
investment banker report, I think it was published last year by Morgan Stanley, that Apple can generate up to 50% of its revenue from healthcare in the end of this decade. So it, 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 it is extremely important. And we're going to see more and more of this becoming personalized healthcare device. It's, it's super important. And the second piece, I just wanted to share um, some facts with you about the importance of use of artificial intelligence in, in diagnostic devices. Like, well, let's think about someone who has early stage uh, breast cancer. And so they've done it, the MRI scan. If you take human radiologists under the time pressure, and, and that's an unfortunate reality of their job, he or she will be able to detect early stage of breast cancer in 38% of cases. Yeah, obviously, I mean, there, when there's no time pressure or this is later stage cancer, which is more dangerous and less recoverable, their success rate is high. But like, think about this. If you integrate this human intelligence with artificial intelligence, success rate for the same case is 98%. So like, Every time you go there, I mean, you, you're going to see the same MRI machine. It's not the same. Every month, they update their artificial intelligence algorithm. And like I can tell you, in the last two years, when I've done my MRI scan, it was first artificial intelligence processed my scan. Well, it highlighted some of the like risky area in, in my full-body MRI. And then I had 30 minutes discussion with human radiologists to go through some of these risky cases. So we kind of think it's with the same technology again and again. It's not. It's because of the high-speed learning and, and the massive application of artificial intelligence or this early diagnostic of colon cancer, the, the toolkit which is currently under development by Freenom. This is the company that we invested in. So they analyzed a lot of like tens of thousands uh, blood samples to see certain correlation between you know, some biomarkers in your blood test and the colon cancer risk. Well, that's amazing. And without artificial intelligence, you will ne never be able to draw this conclusion within like human life or you know, at your academic lifespan. And, but they have been able to do it through the power of artificial intelligence. So right now, if you do a combination of Full body MRI and Cologuard, this is actually the fecal test toolkit to assess your colon cancer risk, or full body MRI or, the, or this Freenom toolkit, which is going to be available soon to the public. It's the same like doing colonoscopy. But colonoscopy is expensive procedure. You do it once every five years. Who the hell knows what is happening inside your body in terms of the colon cancer risk within these five years? You might end up, you, you might be completely clean today. And like have stage four colon cancer in five years from now, you you can be really unlucky. But like, make sure you use the you know whatever diagnostic tools are offered today because they are not the same. There's just amazing power of combination of human knowledge, dedication, doctor's integrity with artificial intelligence, and it goes as combination. It's not mutually exclusive. Wow, that's fascinating. So it just seems like, obviously, you mentioned the wearable and the Apple Watch, the Fitbit, the Samsung, whatever one kind of suits with yep. the person listening to this could be a great first step because we talked about tracking the steps and all the other features that the, some of these wearables do. And then you talked about the, the, the AI, artificial intelligence, combined with the human intelligence and how it increases the chances of finding something. I mean, I would imagine that 
because the human has more time to analyze the procedure when the AI, the AI is doing the, the work that the human would have normally done. And I know one of the other things you talked about in the book was the importance of telehealth, where, um, like you, I, you know, and there's obviously still the importance of having that human connection, but with telehealth, it, it's able to scale some of these medical systems more so that the human or the doctor can have more time to with the patient and be able to put like more energy and, and, and more focus because, you know, they're able to, to free up their time more. I think you described in the book. Exactly. Exactly. Like, so AI would take just a couple of seconds to analyze your MRI scan. So your doctor and a human doctor takes like 13 minutes uh, to go through that. Like how many minutes left for your conversation with your doctors? But like, if this is outsourced to artificial intelligence, you can spend more time with doctors. And, and you're right, Doc, with telehealth, you are not location dependent anymore. So again, I, you know, I was living for like first 17 years of my life. I was living in a really small town. So like the only, you know, optionality I had in terms of the doctors is like between two guys. That's it. Right now you can have yeah, like very specialized version of consultation, you know, if you're embracing telehealth, but frankly speaking, COVID did it for us already. So it's much more advanced applicable and acceptable within the society or in the doctor's community after the COVID. Mm. Yeah, that's incredible. It's amazing. Like kind of what some of the blessings that have come from this. I mean, as much as obviously there's yeah. a lot of unfortunate things that have happened, there has been a few blessings. Last question I have for you around longevity and the technology is like, you've made some, you've just, you've discussed living to like ages of 150, 200 like what, how does that happen? Like what kind of technology is coming in the future that's going to allow humans to live that long? So what we've done today and, and, and the, well, these are the things around this five, five longevity buckets that we discussed early on today. We've been basically avoiding early death. And that's why I, you know, I was talking about early diagnostic of cancer um, as well. But if you think about near horizon of longevity innovation, uh, in 10, 15 years uh, from now, we're going to enjoy a completely different set of technologies like gene editing, gene therapy, organ regeneration, our ability to regrow organs inside our body, inside our lymph nodes. We're going to be having completely different set of drugs, like a special category of drugs, which is, which, you know, looking at aging at its core, like age reversal drugs or something like that. We already have a few candidates and a few more candidates will be developed by artificial intelligence. But like in 15 years time, we will be able to break this sound barrier of 122 years. So obviously we'll need to wait like 30, 50 years until we all live to that. And actually we can see whether Sergey Young, who is 49 today, can break the barrier of 122 years. But obviously this technology is, is right around the corner. We right now, we are participating in, in the massive experiments in the field of gene therapy. Moderna, AstraZeneca, so many vaccines against COVID are, are the products of gene therapy. And I, I do think it's a positive experiment. So this is what's going to happen in, in 10, 15 years from now. This is going to be available to us within this time frame. That's why it's important to stay on longevity bridge. So your body and mind should be in condition in the, in the next 10, 15 years that it's worth expanding its resource. So then 
if you think about living substantially longer, like 200 years, and it's obviously it's this whole horizons of longevity framework. It's just to organize our thinking. I couldn't really promise that we're all going to live 150 or 200 years. But, but I want to, all of us to change our paradigm and mindset about this whole thing. So far horizon of, horizon of longevity in 25 to 50 years from now will offer us the opportunity to redefine humans. We all going to be genetically modified, redefined. We can, we can tackle some genetic diseases at its core. We can even um, reverse aging on genetic level. We already know all 3,000 genes in our DNA which are responsible for aging process. It's going to be a world of human avatars. It's going to be a world of human brain and computer integration, similar to what is done by Elon Musk and Neuralink today. Our body is going to be full of sensors, similar to our cars today. And like we know the concept of Internet of Things today. It's the, the future concept going to be the concept of Internet of Bodies. We're all going to be interconnected with decentralized artificial intelligence algorithm that's going to be responsible to detecting every single small degradation or risk area inside our body and help us to be like super preventive about our health. And our blood is going to be full of nanobots with, who, you know, who can fight with uh, cancer cells. So there is, is, there's so many of achievements, there are so many of technological breakthroughs that we should expect. But again, time to change is today. Yes, I love that. I love how you said the time to change is today and take a lot of action on some of the things we talked about. And it seems that by doing these things, being consistent, being ready, you'll give yourself the opportunity to live longer. So when these technologies do come, you'll kind of be ready to enhance that or be ready to, you know, invest in them or take on them if, if it's something that you kind of want to do. I guess I had one follow-up question. Do you think it'll change like the human experience though, if we're just like wired, like robots almost, if you will, do you think it will, it will change? Like, you think it'll make people not want to live longer if we live like, like robots almost? Yeah, I, I do agree with you. And like, I've had a, I, I had an opportunity to discuss the ethics of human avatars with Peter Jackson, the man behind Lord of the Rings, Avatar movie, Hobbits as well. Like, while he's optimistic about the like, avatar as technology, but like, when you ask him personally, he's like, you know what, Sergey, if, if I'm going to be in love with woman, I'm going to be in love with physical uh, uh, woman and I'm going to be physical as well. So that comes down to that. But like, uh, the, the way our mind is constructed. We all, we all have these fears about the future. So I'm sure the future is not going to be that scary. And, and it's not, you know, artificial intelligence trying to be at war with human intelligence. We all going to coexist. We coexist today, like just, you know, looking for my smartphone. We're already interconnected, but we are interconnected through very inefficient means. Like I'm using my eyes, you know, ear, my fingers to tie. But it's there already. So then what's the level of integration of these technologies inside our mind and body? It's up to us to decide that it's going to be a lot of ethical, regulatory implication of that. So I do think we have just another yeah, 15, 25 years to decide on that. But again, we need to start this conversation today. We couldn't really you know, delay these important questions and, and dialogues for the long-term future. Right. Yeah. Just don't worry about as much. Don't worry as much about the future. Focus on right now, master that and see what comes in the future. So Sergey, 
This has been awesome. And I highly encourage people to go and check out your book, The Science and Technology of Growing Young. If people want to connect with you, if they want to follow you on social media, like where can they do so? I'll be sure to put the the link to your book in the show. Yes, the well. easiest way to connect is to go to sergeyyoung.com. And we put together an amazing offer for someone who orders the book. Like there's just a lot of free stuff that we give away, like Longevity Video Academy done by me, uh, a couple of more books on actually on kids' health and on a diet as well. I'm a big fan of changing the yeah, kids' mindset early on so they're ready for for healthy choices later on in their life. But otherwise, sergeyyoung.com, I'll be really happy to connect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. I'll be sure to include the links to everything in the notes for people to check it out. And for those listening, what I offer you to do is I try to do with every episode is to share a takeaway. I'm going to put Sergey's Instagram handle in the show notes as well. Tag him, tag myself with something he learned or with something that you learned from what he said about longevity, his personal story, maybe it was some of the technology, the wearables, whatever it was, tag him, tag myself. We'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes. We'll see you next time.